0: And I'm Sasha Kelly. And you're listening to That Classical Podcast. Yes, you are. And what are we going to talk about today? It's so cheery. I love it. Uh, today, we're going to talk about two people called Strauss who had nothing to do with each other. They weren't related at Ooh. all. All will be revealed soon enough. So which Strauss are you talking about? I'm going to talk about a chap called Johann Strauss, but we actually refer to him as Johann Strauss the Younger because he was a member of a very famous... Uh, waltzing family one might say
1: I know nothing about him so I think that's the perfect time (laughs) (laughs) to ask you to start your 60 second bio are you ready I'm ready are you steady yes I am
0: Johann Strauss the Younger was born in October 1825 in Vienna, Austria. He was named after his dad, Johann Strauss, who was a massively famous composer at the time, but who refused to let Baby Strauss become a composer himself. So Strauss the Younger had to study music in secret and began his career as a bank clerk. Then when he was 17, his dad abandoned his entire family to elope with his mistress. So everyone was like, thank God for that. And Baby Strauss and all his brothers started voraciously studying music with the support of their mum. So of Strauss the Younger was super gifted at music. All his teachers were like, yes, mate. And by 19 years old, Lil Johann had led his first concert and a year later formed his own band. He also started writing his own quadrilles, Mazurkas, Halfways and waltzes, receiving loads of praise from the press. But despite people thinking he was talented, his early years as a composer were hard, and he ended up competing with his own dad for performances and jobs. So it was only when Daddy Strauss died in 1849 that Strauss the youngest Successfully blew up. He merged his own orchestra with his dad's, took up all these old contracts, got tons of jobs, and everyone was like, "This is great," including Verdi, Brahms, and Wagner. 1862, married a singer, who sparked his interest in Operetta leading him to de- write *Die Fledermaus Ten uh, Pretty much stopped conducting to focus on the Viennese waltz and ended up writing 150 of them. Started touring the USA in the 1870s, performing in his most famous waltz, *The Blue Danube*, with over a thousand performers at the Boston Festival. Died eighteen ninety. In Vienna 873 composing the Ballet Cinderella. Oh,
1: very good. That was very fast. That was so fast. One of my fastest <laughs> works. That's the Usain Bolt. <laughs> oh. Oh my God, I of a 60-second by record breaker. Um, I knew none of that. I just know okay, about amazing. his pieces. Um, yeah. The really, really famous one. Yeah. The Blue Danube. Yeah. Right. So, like,
0: before I get into all of that, Okay, things to take away from the jumble of words, I just I heard Mistress, and that he had a lot of famous fans. Great. So, essentially, Strauss the Younger, he took the popular, what we call salon music of Vienna, and he made it into this fashionable, danceable, high art, basically. And he composed over 500 waltzes, polkas uh, quadrilles and other types of dance music uh, as well as several operettas and a ballet and the ballet is really good it's just a ballet version of cinderella that's amazing big fan so he was known as the waltz king and yeah as i said just basically made the waltz this huge deal in, in vienna in the 19th century a total master of what we call light music which we've definitely spoken about before but i don't think we've ever really explained but it's super easy it's just a kind of like a less serious version of classical Some, music.
1: Sometimes people can be a bit sniffy they, about de- that
0: music, can't <laughs> definitely they? Definitely snobby. Like, but it's it's melodic. It's not necessarily steeped in tradition, you know. And it's it's
1: crowd pleasing. Can I also say I have a friend who used to swear by driving to the waltzes of Johann Strauss the second. She said. Perfect Weird. driving
0: music. <laughs> that's that's actually adorable though. Yeah. like when you hear, like when we play the music.
1: Yeah, you just can't get road rage when you're listening to a waltz. It is waltz. the cheeriest kind
0: of music. Although exactly. some of them do get very fast. So, you know, look out. Mm. Um. But also, as I said, so Johann Strauss the Younger's dad, Johann Strauss the Elder, was like dead set on his kids not being composers and musicians because I think it's it was almost... I mean, I'm defending a horrible
1: man. But it was like he didn't want them to face the hardships that he'd faced. So it wasn't like, I don't want them to compete with me. It was being a musician's I really hard. was a little hard. of that. I okay. think there was a little of that. But, um, because, so, and, and I'll
0: tell you both sides. So for example... Um, Strauss the younger, baby Strauss, started studying violin in secret with the first violinist of his dad's orchestra. It's so great; it'd be a great oh, wow. film, wouldn't it? But um, one day he was discovered by his dad, and uh, Johann Strauss the Elder gave him this severe whipping, saying he was going to beat the music out of him. Like oh this gosh. was the, this was the situation. It was really really bad. But when Strauss the Younger did actually start performing around Vienna, some venues were like, your dad kind of performs here and he told us not to let you perform. But baby Strauss was like, that's ridiculous, performed anyway. And then Strauss the Elder stopped performing at those places. So basically Strauss the Elder just was not supportive of his son. And then he ran off with his mistress. Yeah. um, And then the whole family was like, thank God for that. And all of them started playing music, like the Von Trapps, do you know what I mean? And But because of this awful time, Strauss developed all these, like, difficult personality disorders. So ah. he was an awful hypochondriac, um, constantly afraid of getting sick and becoming blind. He also became super nervous when he had to travel by train. He hated... Now, this is a list. He hated the outdoors, just generally. <laughs> he hated sunshine. <laughs> He was um, afraid of storms and afraid of becoming poor, which, I mean, we've all got those fears in, in some way, but uh, I think altogether,
1: they're just pretty unfortunate. Also, when you pair it with his music, which is so unashamedly jolly, jolly. I yeah, know. you just think, <laughs> what is what, this you person? don't like trains, you don't like the outdoors, you don't like sunshine? sunshine. What? Do you know what I mean? This sounds like a Motown song, he really. A-
0: <laughs> Tell me about it. Actually, the first uh, piece we're going to do is not a Motown favorite. I apologize. It's... The Blue Danube Waltz. Or in German, Chris Bland, where are you when I need you? And a Schönenblauen Donau. Uh, and you might not recognize the name, fair enough. But I really think you're going to recognize the tune. I really just, I would place several million bets on it. Okay, but, but I please don't write to us. And I also claim have money. a fear of becoming poor. Um, so in 1865, uh, when Strauss the Younger was in the middle of his... I'm going to rad some waltzes face, another Johann, Because apparently everyone in Vienna was called Johann at this time. Yeah. He was called Johann Herbeck. Uh, he was the choir master of the Vienna Men's Choral Society. Mm-hmm. He commissioned Strauss to write a choral piece. Strauss was like, sure, let me put that on my list. He's from New York for some reason in my mind. Let me put that on my list. And then just forgot that it ever happened. Story of my life. Then the next year, uh, Austria was defeated by Prussia in something called the Seven Weeks War. And after that, Viennese morale was like at an all-time low. I guess Austrian morale generally was. So Strauss looked down at his list and he was like, okay, yeah, uh, mm, fear of becoming poor here. Like, don't want to go in a storm there. Um, oh yeah, write a choral piece for the Vienna Men's Choral Society. That'll cheer everyone up. So he thought, he kind of remembered this poem by a guy called Carl Isidore Beck in which every stanza ended with this line by the Danube, beautiful blue Danube. And he was like, perfect oh my gosh that's perfect apart from the danube is not really blue it's more of like a murky brown and i think at this time it didn't actually run through vienna but it didn't matter it was perfect so he wrote a waltz with this in mind and then got the lyricist of the choir who was actually a policeman uh so bear in mind this wasn't his real job added humorous lyrics uh, like that's in a quote humorous okay. lyrics austrian, austrian style austrian humorous lyrics that made okay. fun of the war and all of austria's politicians and everything like that but clearly uh this policeman wasn't funny at all because it turned out the choir hated the lyrics and that might have been one of the reasons the premiere was a slight flop oh, no. um but it reminded me of, like have you ever sung in a choir where you hate what you're singing
1: and uh, uh, like you yeah, yeah. hate the
0: music and it's it is the worst thing
1: yeah and it's quite I mean, that's why singers are paid to do their job because (laughs) the number of times you're like, they really have to sing that again. Just like, oh. And they have to put smiles on their faces and get on stage. And they have to rehearse
0: it for like several weeks. Like (sighs) it is is really awful. Uh, A timeless tradition one might say. But then basically a year later, Uh, Strauss gave the waltz like an orchestral makeover performed it at the Paris World Fair and it was this sensation overnight millions of people wanted the piano score he was performing it all over the shop and in 1872 I mentioned this in in the 60 seconds he performed it in Boston with a 2,000 piece orchestra and a 20,000 strong choir and a hundred thousand people in the audience at which point he apparently said how am I supposed to conduct this mess? <laughs> Which is like fair enough. Because I can't imagine like it's hard enough conducting a normal orchestra. That must right? be You've like a football... an orchestra.
1: Yeah. That, must, <laughs> that must, must be like being in a football stadium <laughs> and just and also in the like they wouldn't have screens. No. It just would have been like, oh, no. look at that little dot over there and imagine it's in time. I, I do you
0: know what though? And also like I don't think everyone would have been playing together. Like, I really oh, think no. it would have sounded like an absolute disgrace. Do you
1: know? Actually this is a bit of a tangent, but that's why often at the Olympics or opening yeah. ceremonies yeah. the orchestra's miming because the way that sound oh, travels. They really? Yeah, in stadiums. There you go. So because it echoes and like you'll be in the back row and that'll sound different. Right. It's just way easier to get the orchestra to record it ahead of time yeah. and get them to mind, Like the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Exactly. That's exactly Beyonce. it. Beyonce. The Shakiras
0: of the world. And Johann Strauss. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. They're basically the same guys. Come on. Classical music is cool. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, that's hilarious. Shall we just take a listen?
1: Yeah, let's do it. so delightful can it, two things i want to say hey i just can't imagine that as a coral piece i you know, know the river is big it's big so big the river I know. is blue it's <laughs>
0: so ridiculous i know and they talk about mermaids and stuff like so genuinely because do. there are mermaids swimming around in there but I hope that uh, some of you, if not all of you, recognise that. Um, something to note about the Blue Danube is that we just heard one of five waltzes in that waltz. So it's like inception, it's waltzception. Uh The Blue Danube is actually five different waltzes because that bit goes... And then the next bit goes... and then there's like more there's three more other waltzes in that one waltz so uh he really you know he gives you some bang for your buck one might say oh absolutely you know great value for money but anyway so you might have recognized that from things like uh stanley kubrick's 2001 space odyssey or cool runnings it's in or titanic or my personal favorite, The Sketch of Monty Python, when an orchestra is playing that in a field, exploding one by
1: one. Uh, <laughs> try and find that on YouTube. It's great. It's definitely the kind of piece <laughs> that you imagine someone doing something in slow motion.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or exploding. But yeah, that that's Strauss the Younger. As we've said, he's called the Waltz King. That's not an exaggeration. He, not at all. he wrote hella waltzes uh and there's a waltz for every occasion genuinely there's like the bandit waltz there's the acceleration waltz there's the champagne polka polkas are basically just other fun dances can i ask a question did
1: mm. he write the thunder and lightning polka yeah he did yeah, yeah yeah but he was scared of thunder it must have been a hard few
0: days <laughs> that he wrote <laughs> <It's> that <nice. laughs> but like you'll see like if you go on to like a strauss to like album or anywhere just this like endless list of dances that all sound I'm gonna say fairly similar um but do you know what they're actually they're guaranteed to cheer you up like and perfect if, for a road trip perfect for a road trip there you go Strauss too. That classical podcast next it's
1: Deflay Mouse oh okay this you, is exciting. you know this one right I I mean I do But (laughs) great. I can't really remember. Okay, well,
0: just stay tuned, babe. So, you might have heard me mention that Strauss wrote a few operettas. And, P.S., I think we've mentioned it before, but an operetta is kind of, uh, to put it in really basic terms, it's like an opera slash musical. I mean, like opera, most of the story is told through song. There are some fancy costumes, there are some lovely sets, you know, you name it. But,. Uh, In operettas, there can sometimes be talky bits. The style of the music is a lot more popular. It's a lot lighter. And usually, if you're lucky, there's a silly storyline too. Now, the operetta actually originated in Paris around the 1850s, um, mostly thanks to the composer Jacques Offenbach. Oh, those French, I mean, croissants, cheese, Oh, they know what they're about. Nice jam, you name it. Uh, But basically, Jacques Offenbach who I actually don't think we've mentioned uh, in the podcast before, he was having he was having a bloody great time with operettas. Uh, he'd write these little kind of one-act musical comedies that poked fun at rich people and politicians, classic of the genre, and people loved it. They were desperate for some light music entertainment at that time because if you can imagine... What Paris was like the the opera scene in Paris really serious like yeah. lots of divas you know quite pretentious at the time sorry mm-hmm. apologies to Paris um, it's not
1: like any of them are going to come back and get you no they very I'm, dead
0: I'm safe here this is a safe <laughs> space um, <laughs> very dead uh, but so Offenbach was went the total opposite way made these operators huge hits so he toured these all over Europe and indeed through Vienna and it turned out he was a big fan of Strauss the younger oh. and loved his waltzes and supposedly one day was like and I'm imagining this over two enormous steins of Austrian beer he was like you know what Strauss you're quite good at waltzes why don't you write an operetta it's basically the same thing with words In addition to Stein's, they definitely would have had pipes. Yes, and and big pipes. Big moustaches. Oh, huge. The biggest. Actually, strauss the younger had an enormous moustache, so he probably couldn't have gone to Paris because the croissants would have just gone everywhere. Anyway, Strauss was like, Jacques, you're such a flatterer. Like, didn't really kind of believe him. But then Strauss's wife, who I mentioned, was quite an important singer of the time in Vienna, totally agreed with uh, Offenbach, secretly... Got some words put to one of uh, Strauss's waltzes and just took them to a really important theatre uh, director in Vienna. And the director was like, dollar signs in his eyes like why wouldn't people want to come and see so she's already better than that policeman who wrote terrible <laughs> she's lyrics so much better because she was like I can't write these but I'll pay someone who's better than me to do it
1: do you know what I reckon she probably already had the idea have been yeah. telling him for ages yes Offenbach came along and she's like oh, <sighs> uh, I've been uh, telling you can just this picture the scene babe yeah. do you know
0: what I mean Um, but the director immediately saw these dollar signs and they got a few poets together I mean Strauss clearly agreed eventually and he was and i can, can reiterate he was the most popular composer in vienna at this time okay. like his waltzes were like famous everywhere and he um, was the
1: lady gaga he was the lady vienna.
0: gaga of vienna <laughs> exactly there you go so they got a few poets together to write some lyrics to his music and eventually um happened upon this play called le réveillon which was actually written by Offenbach's like personal poet team who came up with this play, the idea of this play, but Offenbach didn't want it. He didn't want to write for it. So Strauss was like, sloppy seconds. I'll take it, I'll do it. Zhuzhed it up a bit for Viennese audiences, made it slightly less French, um and a bit classier sorry uh and then that, that was it Defledermaus mouse was born and deflater mouse by the way just means the bat and the legend is that Strauss wrote steadily for 43 days without food or sleep uh, until deflater mouse i'm finished. sorry he must have eaten. i just think he must have had a sandwich at some point yeah or something more viennese a whirl <laughs> <laughs> wait isn't that a biscuit isn't a viennese whirl a biscuit
1: i think all or is the it a Vietnamese, dance
0: what's the oh no that's a vienna wait no viennetta viennetta oh, vi- i can't uh, even get the name right <laughs> viennetta but they're delicious do they still and- make Vianetta? Oh, that sure was very. Do. That was a very classy dessert when we were kids, right? Oh, absolutely! Oh, and if for, your mom got the viennetta out,
1: and for a birthday, just put for some candles on the top. Stop it! Oh, ice cream That's cake. great. So elegant. <sighs> um, but anyway, I, he should have had a viennetta at the end of
0: his forty-three. Days I think to he celebrate n- right. Very much would have deserved that. Um, but I'm pretty sure he just wrote it in a normal fashion over several months yeah. because it was premiered six months later um, in April 1874, and it was just this huge hit overnight. So as for the storyline, it's complicated and ridiculous, uh, but it all centers around this extravagant masked ball and several mistaken identities. And I wanted to choose, I just chose one of my favorite songs from it, basically. Now the context of this song is great. So Adele is a lowly chambermaid who's borrowed one of her mistress's gowns without permission. Great start. And she she's one of the people that goes to this masquerade ball, also without permission great job from Adele uh and she gets recognized there by the husband of her mistress but she basically the whole premise of the song is that she's laughing in his face like Haha, lol as if a glamorous woman like me could be a lowly chambermaid see these bazungas? are these the bazungas of a chambermaid I don't think so like genuinely it's really 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 great um and she's like laughing along
1: And uh, I just think we should listen to it. I'm so excited. Oh, it's so good. And you can hear the laugh in it right. so clearly. Oh, by the way,
0: it's called Mein Hair Markey. Like, that, that's the name of the, the piece there because she's like, oh, my hair Markey. How dare you say something like that? And the first time I listened to that, I actually laughed. Like, I, I was walking through waterloo station hysterically laughing and i didn't even know what the words meant like it was so weird but diana damra who sings that like she she actually puts that laughter through her her singing like so beautifully it's done so it's well. so good and the, the i guess like i'm sure you could hear it but the whole point of that chorus is that she can't even get to the end of a sentence without laughing because the idea of her being a chambermaid is so ridiculous so whenever she goes like that she like can't even finish what she was saying before that's sort of the point
1: oh um great musical round right, kelly it's
0: great but Deflana of Alice is also like i would say probably most famous for the overture which i was going to play that but i thought this is too great I, I can't skip this yeah um but definitely go and check out the overture you'll like it's got loads of different melodies from the opera kind of shoved in there and i really think you'll probably recognize that um as well but yeah i mean those were the things i chose for strauss the younger as we said like go go and explore his waltzes go and listen to defledo mouse i'm not mad keen on his other operettas i think Dufledermaus mouse is probably his big famous one okay but um but definitely that i would i would really encourage you to just go and listen through more of the arias and songs of that
1: and if you find um a hidden gem out there let us know we'd love to hear from you Did you know that Classical Podcast has a Patreon? And Sasha, what can people find there? When you become a Patreon, you get a special Patreon playlist with all our favorite music, there's a monthly newsletter, there's bonus episodes, and you'll be first in line for TCP merch. And it also means that we owe a very big thank you to Andrew Harford, Anne Law, Caitlin O'Malley, Charlotte M, Desmond Janssen, Ellie King, Katie Burnham, Libby Thomas, Natalie Chan, Sarah Morgan, Sagita Vaichnaita, Yilan Shao, Sarah Sieberts, and Mikkel Jansen. Thank you. And head to patreon.com if you too want to be a special patron of that classical podcast. So Kelly, I know Ravel yes. is your boyfriend. Yes, indeed. And today we're gonna to talk about my boyfriend. Oh my god, so excited! Double um, date. We're going steady. <laughs> Who is he? Who is this man? His name is Richard Strauss. Oh my gosh, he sounds dreamy.
0: Do you wanna do a 60 second biography about him? I certainly do. Incredible. Ready? Are you steady? Go.
1: Richard Strauss was born to a musical family in Munich on the 11th of June, 1864. He's a Gemini, just like me. His dad was lowborn, but climbed up through society. A bastard, as they'd say on Game of Thrones. He was a very famous horn player in the Court Opera in Munich, and his mum was also the daughter of a beer brewer in Munich. New money, as the stumps would say. Little Richard began music lessons at the age of four, and it was pretty apparent that he was very talented. His dad also spent a lot of time teaching him about music, and also revised and gave him heaps of notes on his scores. He wrote the whole, he wrote his first horn concerto for him. Absolute banger. In 1864. 18- in 1974, he heard his first Wagner opera. He went to Longgren, but his dad channeled Mufasa and said, everything the light touches Simba, but not the Shadowlands, and Wagner is for sure the Shadowlands. <laughs> he moved to Berlin, where he starts working as an assistant conductor to get this Hans von Bülow. This is also the beginning of his conducting career. He assists Brahms in the premiere of his Symphony Number no. 4. Now, that is a gig. He writes, he Ten conducts, seconds. he marries his students, he moves back to Berlin, becomes a massive celebrity, he writes Salome travels to Five. America, stays in Germany throughout World War II, had a very interesting relationship with the Nazis, after the war, his bank accounts were frozen, so he fled to Switzerland. Um, he has a heart attack and dies of so kidney failure. And um, 8th of September, 1949.
0: Ooh. One minute, eight seconds. Kidney favor. There you go. Kidney beads. Um Amazing. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. I enjoyed the bastard shouting uh, the
1: most. See, I lost time for Shouting drugs. bastard. <laughs> this is what you Burn. But I thought it was important. It was, no. That was fascinating. So... I'm really
0: intrigued by the Wagner thing.
1: Yeah. Like, why didn't his dad... So his dad supported his kind of musical career. Yeah, so... um yeah, Richard Strauss. I'll call him. Yeah, Do you call him Rich. Rich, no. Richie, Rick. Rick, Rick. Um. So his dad was a very famous horn player and Got premiered heaps of Wagner's pieces. And so actually had a oh. like Wagner would come and conduct and work on the music. The worst it, person in the world, as yeah. we discovered last week. And his dad <laughs> yeah. hated him, Amazing. and he knew. Like, kind of knew of Wagner's reputation and really disliked him. Oh my God. And I think was quite anti him as a person. So that kind of translated to his music as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't think he actually hated his music because little Ricard Strauss um, <laughs> would study Wagner's music. Oh my gosh. And, and when you hear it, it's undeniable that there's a connection. Now is my next struggle. And I just want to give a shout out to the pieces that were on the shortlist. Okay, yeah, go. Okay. Because I have been, so ever since we decided on Strauss's- For um, everyone, just so everyone knows, she's like rubbing her temples, <laughs> like she's really stressed right now and I just want I you to see that. I am stressed, Kelly. I am <laughs> I've so really stressed. i really been racking my brain. <laughs> um, I've been listening to a lot of Strauss in the last month oh. and here was my shortlist. Okay. The four last songs, the final yes. trio of Der Rosenkavalier. Yep. Like fifty other leader that he wrote, mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Dinacht is one of them, so he There's, was a leader
0: dude he he loved he a leader,
1: was a leader dude, okay, got it, and a leader's just a song by the way, if, if, for yeah. everyone who doesn't remember, and he married a soprano, and okay. so he <laughs> she i imagine t- tapped her toes and was like, "I'm sure right, she more music. <laughs> um, and that he did. Yeah. Um, so his songwriting is incredible. The second movement of Alzo Sprach Zarathustra, um, which is incredible. I've only listened to the first bit, but you've already done that. We did
0: yeah, so if, if people remember we actually played Alzo Sprach Zarathustra um in one of our older episodes. Yeah. Um it's the one that goes. <laughs> I'm going to wait. Bumper, That don, one. Don, that's don, like don, a big don, sunrise. Don, don. Um, please ha- take a look at our old episodes with the wonderful Chris Bland uh, talking about that. Yeah. Um, so ages ago, someone
1: was like, "Oh, listen to the rest of it. It's amazing. Yeah. And I went and did it. I went, it is amazing. And do you know? I've actually never listened to the rest of it. I have never done that. I'm putting it on the Spotify I'm playlist. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Do it. Oh, do and it. then Alpine Symphony. Yeah. Also incredible. Lovely. Um. And Zalame. Yeah. Anyway, so... I'm going to talk about, so now I've talked about all the other music (laughs) that he's (laughs) written that we're not going to listen to. well done. I'm going to talk about Alizalan, which is a leader that he wrote quite early on in his career. What does it mean? It means All Souls Day, which is Um... the 2nd of November and it's in the Christian calendar. It's when they believe that the world of the living and the world of the dead are the closest Mm -hmm. and that you can communicate between the two. Whoa. Yeah, it's deep. Love that. It's deep. Mm -hmm. So you can interpret the protagonist of this uh, performance as either the dead lover singing to the person still alive or the person still alive talking to their dead lover. (gasps) I choose to think of it as the latter. Okay. Um, Person alive singing to the dead lover. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, And so it's. And so it's in um, three verses, and I won't read all of them because it's quite long. And it's through composed. So, as opposed to a strophic, which would be the same music for each verse, mm-hmm. like. We spoke about that, I think, a couple of yeah. episodes ago. Yeah. Like Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen mm-hmm. is strophic. Same over and over. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the music changes, but the words keep the same pattern. And oh. each. Each paragraph ends with the phrase "V einst in Mai, as once in May. Um Aww. but obviously he changes it. So I want to talk about like kind of the tone colors and the word painting that Strauss uses. Bloody
0: love word painting. Yes, and
1: I think of this piece as like a hot like it's great heartbreak music. Great. Love it's that. great like for a rainy day crisis staring out a window. Yeah, exactly. On a train. Maybe I'm with you or having a glass of wine in your kitchen being like, (laughs) you know, weeping gently as once (laughs) into a bag of crisps. So even though all souls day is the second of November, uh, I think this is them singing about like that great day in May that they had a holiday and they were like Aww, really in love and they're picnic. remembering. It. Yeah. So the first verse is basically you know, when you're going to have a really difficult emotional conversation with someone, do I? <laughs> yeah. Do I ever? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and they come in and you're like, oh, you know, how you doing? What's going on? Awkward small talk. Yeah. Oh. And yeah, yeah. And specific. So you'll be like, like he does. He goes, oh, put the flowers on the table. Oh, do you remember when we picked those flowers last time? Um, Let's talk about that time that we picked the flowers. Like, Remember last May? That's the first verse. So it's like setting the person up for the conversation. Got it. And so the music is really lush and lyrical and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then the second verse, um, the main singer, so it was written for a tenor, but then Strauss married a soprano and she sang it all the time. Me. So, <laughs> me, me. And I learnt it. So I think of it as <laughs> Great. Sasha Kelly, the star. I agree. wholeheartedly. Thank you. Um, And then the second verse has these beautiful lines like, Gib mir die hand, dass ich sie heimlich drücke. Which means, give me your hand to hold in secret. And if anyone, and it goes on to say, like, if anyone sees, I don't care what they say. So you can think Aww. about it as like, I don't care if people think I'm holding the hand of a ghost, or because I am like that woman that
0: thinks she's marrying a ghost <laughs> on this morning. If you watch British daytime TV, <laughs> she's
1: or, everywhere. Or Demi Moore in Ghost. Demi Moore in Ghost. The more famous pottery. <laughs> of the ghosts. Yeah, yeah, got it. It's like so he's starting to, you know, that's the moment you're vulnerable. So you're having this emotional conversation, and that's the moment With when the ghost. you're starting to say like, oh, I really loved you. And so when you're actually – like, think about the times you've had those kind of conversations. You do go quiet. You go uncertain. Um, you might not resolve your sentences. You might not finish it. And sure. Strauss does that in music. It goes really soft. It's really uneasy in the harmonies. Um, it doesn't resolve. and But it finishes with the same line, as once in May. And then it has <laughs> – she just did a fist, fist pump. pump. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the end, um it it ends with the big like, you know, you're having this emotional conversation, mm-hmm. you're talking to someone mm-hmm. and it's just not like you're not getting your point across. Mm-hmm. They're not with you and you just go, right, I'm just gonna put it on the table. I'm just gonna put it all out there how I feel. Yeah. And it finishes with the line, "Come an mein Herz, dass ich dich wieder habe wie einst in Mai. Come to my heart and so be mine again as once in May. And what I love, so German, like the grammar is all over the place. That's weird, yeah. Dass ich dich wieder habe. Wieder is again. Okay. And that's the note that she's just like... Again! Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So... Strauss just, just, like, lets the soprano rip. And then she sings um, The Einstein in My Twice. The first time, like, still with all this hope mm. and all this longing and, like, it's going to work out. And then the second time she sings it, it's, like, full of resignation. Like, of course I'm never going to see you again. He of is course it's never going to happen again. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> let's listen to it give me Goosebumps, I'm not gonna lie. Is that because I was singing along? It's because
0: you were singing along. Um, But also, uh, I think your explanation was wonderful because it actually put you in that, because that was the moment where she was saying, again, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And And also, I used to always get the German wrong when I learned it and sing. Off with my head instead of That's not
0: romantic although you would be dead as well. So you would be with your lover, which is sort of nice. And my teacher
1: used to be like, No, (laughs) off with my head. Yeah, I'm terrible with lyrics. Like Alice in Wonderland. Incredible. Completely changes the meaning of the third verse. Yeah, but that is why I talk about music and don't sing it, Kelly. Like when you pretended to know
0: Portuguese at <sighs> that concert. That's a really special. Sasha once made up Portuguese. uh that's a concert. But that's a, that's a story for another time. Anyway, please continue. Please continue.
1: Um, but basically, I mean, you already heard me kind of stress over what Strauss song to pick. His leader is incredible. Yeah, he wrote that. In 1885,
0: he was only 21. Oh, isn't is that
1: annoying? Desperate overachiever. Yes, exactly. again on the podcast. He, he wrote it for a tenor voice, but as I said, he married a soprano. And in the la- like after they got married, they performed a lot together. He playing okay. the piano and her singing. Romantic. Yeah. I mean, that would make me vomit. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> Fine. But secretly you love it. Yeah, it? I would. Uh, <laughs> but that's also why sopranos will always talk about how great Strauss was for okay. female voice because he really understood it in a way that isn't seen in a lot of other composers. But Strauss is – because we're going to move on to some of his orchestral writing. So he also wrote an incredible amount of opera music and he's regarded in opera circles as the person who wrote the most complex and incredibly, like, plot and character-driven operas hmm. Uh since Mozart. So you know how people oh talk about Mozart being yeah. so good at marrying the text, the character, sure. and the instrumentation. Yeah. Strauss is kind of the heir apparent to that. I never knew that. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, I mean, there's so much I wish we could play, but that's my little pick of how he paints with words. That classical podcast. So... We heard something that he wrote when he was 21. Mm-hmm. We're not going to fast forward and hear something he wrote when he was 81. <gasps> wow. Amazing. Okay. Cool, and cool. I, I chose it on purpose. Not at all. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> so this is his metamorphosin. Oh, amazing. Okay. Have you heard it? I have, yeah. Okay. Its full name is actually metamorphosin study for 23 solo strings. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is... The period that's often referred to as the Indian summer of Strauss's life. He wrote a flurry of pieces, Mm -hmm. a lot of which are considered his best. Um, The inspiration for this particular work is said to be the fact that Strauss found out that all opera houses in Austria and Germany were destroyed in the war. Okay and Strauss when you kind of look at his life mm-hmm. had a fairly blessed existence he was born to a very wealthy family they were incredibly supportive of him being a professional musician he was paid for and supported while he composed uh his dad was already incredibly well connected enthusiast exactly yeah like, he wrote I mean although it's a absolute banger of a piece mm-hmm. the horn concerto number 1 that he wrote for his dad mm-hmm. i mean oh cute i yeah, love that it's a bit like you know if gwyneth paltrow and chris martin's kids want to do anything in life they're already they on a good wicket, right? Be a member of Coldplay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's pretty much. Or sell really weird stuff on the internet. That yeah. I mean, Is it medically from... approved? <laughs> aside from the fact that their names are Apple. Yeah. They're doing okay. So it's often thought of like with this blessed kind of existence mm-hmm. that World War II was a massive, like, so World War II represented the worst of Strauss's life in many ways, which I think is quite Probably fair. many people's lives, I imagine. Exactly. not a happy time. No. Exactly. But for Strauss in particular, who'd been like, la, 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 life right. is no great. hardships
0: whatsoever. It was also yeah. like,
1: what the hell is happening? That's tough, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple there's a couple of conflicting ideas about him as well and his role in the war because Mm -hmm. Toscanini the famous conductor Mm -hmm. in case you've heard his name before Mm -hmm. famously said this quote to Strauss the composer I take off my hat to Strauss the man I put it on again whoa I know that's like
0: bite my thumb territory like
1: whoa yeah
0: to cutting,
1: <laughs> I think I've said this before, but like those are fighting words. It's brutal. Words. Watch out. So he was a nasty person. So Toscanini in 1933 had been asked to conduct a performance of Wagner's Parsifal. Okay, but Hitler had said no Jewish musicians, so Toscanini pulled out of the performance because he was like, that's not okay. Oh and my Strauss gosh! And Strauss stepped in and took over the conducting of that performance and so toscanini from then on was like nah i like love stress. how everything comes back to wagner being a total asshole
0: it really like does. it's actually so useful that we did that episode because it like paints it gives color to so many other classical stories it really
1: does and yeah. a lot of people like really you know kind of come to their crossroads mm-hmm. on whether they think he's a good person or not there you go <laughs> So, while other composers and musicians fled Germany mm. with the rise of the Nazis, mm. Strauss stayed put. And some see this as him being like bad, in quotation marks, so to speak, mm. or in bed with the Nazis. Like complicit almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get you. But Goebbels, <laughs> do you know who Goebbels is? I do is? know who Goebbels is. <laughs> but for those who don't, he was the head of propaganda for the A Nazis. A nasty, horrible, horrible man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in his personal diaries, he wrote, um, We have to put up with Strauss now, but one day we're going to have our own composers, in quotation marks. So, oh my God. Yeah. So, Strauss's daughter in law was Jewish. Okay. And so he saw him working with this new political party, the Nazis, as mm. a way of protecting his family. Okay. So he chose to stay thinking that it would protect mm-hmm. his Jewish relatives. Mm-hmm. So, okay. The other thing you have to think about, and I read this quote by the conductor Urofsky, who's the chief conductor of the London Philharmonic Orchestra, mm-hmm. and he says about Strauss, art was everything for him and the daily lives of other people meant nothing to him. And not, this not great quotes. Not a great quote. Record. But also I've read a lot about him and this is the kind of Strauss I imagine is so contradictory to his music. He was very self-involved okay. and so wrapped up in the immediacy and the importance of like art for art's sake Got it. that he didn't really appreciate how politics and art work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I found another record that said there's no evidence really of Strauss making any friends post 1900 this is a per- like this is a really helpful image
0: like you can yeah. imagine the exact kind of person that he is exactly he's just so talented he has no social
1: skills yeah essentially yeah yeah and he's that person that everyone at the party is like doesn't oh, want to talk to you. that's just but like quick move on from the punchline <laughs> yeah, exactly. pretend you
0: need the toilet immediately yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm you hear you. his
1: music and you go how could he not be the most colorful entertaining sure Enigmatic character, but in reality, he was not An, that a knobhead. And <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> very political way of putting it. Thank you. So I think a lot of people paint him as like, oh, he stayed in Germany because he was in bed with the Nazis. But actually, the more I read about him, the more I think he probably just had no kind of concept, yeah, of anything, and mu- and that's why he wrote this piece. Not because of what the Nazis were doing, but the fact that the opera houses were destroyed. Like, that was the thing that made him wow, go, like, what's okay. wrong with the like world? Like, arts being
0: destroyed. Yeah,
1: these houses and these bastions of, like, history and mm. importance. Did he mind that. about the books being burned? Nope. Well, well okay. he didn't write anything yeah, about right. that. But... Um, so I'd like to hear, so let's have a listen to it. Let's do it.
0: Got some Arvo Pet vibes from that. Oh, and like, mean. kind of like uh, unsettling strings, kind of, but and very modern. It sounded very, very modern to me. Like,
1: yeah. Clashy and not very kind of melodic, but yeah. really kind of beautiful and haunting. So there's, I mean, I totally agree with everything you're saying. But the Great. bit that we just listened to mm. directly quotes Beethoven's third. Symphony. Does it actually? Yeah. And he did that on ba, purpose, right? Well, or, yeah. Okay. He did. And so when that particular line comes in at the end in the lower strings, he writes the rehearsal mark in memoriam. Oh, my God. So there's a couple of conspiracy theories. Okay, tell Don't me Don't we more? love conspiracy tell theories? Beethoven wrote his third symphony, which that comes from, the third movement, mm-hmm. uh, the funeral march, mm-hmm. about Napoleon. And when he found out that Napoleon was turning himself into a dictator, he crossed it out mm. and was like, I'm going to call it the Eroica. Got it. And so there's a couple of people, musicologists, who think that Strauss was doing the same thing with the Nazi regime. Which was that like he kind of supported Germany being this superior Mm -hmm, nation mm -hmm. and then when it was all falling apart Mm -hmm, in 1945 mm -hmm. and the realization of what they'd actually done was Mm -hmm. coming to the fore, this disillusionment coming out and so kind of the parallels happening there. Got it. Also, there's another Beethoven correlation where there's this repeated fragment of just like ba 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 da, ba ba <gasps> ba Beethoven- Five. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. Exactly. Da, 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 da. Except yeah. much jollier. Okay. In that fashion. So there's a lot of Beethoven references in this piece. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That I love that. I never knew. Isn't that. not that fun? That when is you fun. hear stuff and you're like, That's in a so in a so wonderfully annoying. nerdy way. That's oh, fun. fun. Super nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> super super That's nerdy. Great though. Yeah. So I just it. I mean, it's half an hour long. It's really long. It's intense. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a lot of like. You know, it's not really uplifting. No, it's not cheerful, but it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's moving. But I think it's just glorious music. And if we were to delve further into Richard Strauss, oh do you God. have any tips on where we should go? Okay, so uh, Kirite Kanawa. She's a wonderful. To her person. album mm-hmm. with Jo Georg Schulte. Okay, that is, I think, the pick of the leader. So she's just going through all the big she's just like big boy pants leader all the best stuff <laughs> okay, for you got it uh go listen to uh actually maybe we if you're a patreon member mm-hmm. come and visit us and i'll put some like little tips in there for Great. de Rose and cavalier the final trio wonderful oh, just absolutely incredible but all of his opera music just listen to strauss
0: that classical podcast so that ladies and gentlemen was our episode on strauss and strauss hope you enjoyed it please do let us know what your favorite strauss
1: pieces are from across the board and sasha if they want to get in touch how do they find us super easy we've got so many ways we're on twitter we're on instagram Mm -hmm. we're on facebook Mm -hmm. send us an email at that classical email at gmail.com yeah or look for that classical with an at symbol on all your social medias exactly and if you want to listen to some of the music we've been playing in our episodes head to
0: spotify there's a that classical podcast playlist there and most importantly if you've enjoyed this episode please do head to uh, your podcast platform and leave us a cheeky cheeky little five star review see oh, how you absolutely. feel uh, if you five stars. um <laughs> if you want but otherwise we'll see you next time thanks so much for listening bye bye, bye.